Hi everyone and welcome to the Grown Up Girls Report podcast, a podcast for women who are giving life a red hot go, who are in the thick of it, who are juggling kids and family and work and dinner and a bit of beauty and of course COVID. It can be pretty tough with such a full plate. So this podcast is designed to make life a little bit easier for you. Well, for those of you who are regulars, you will know that it is a book club week this week, and I am so looking forward to sharing an interview with a new author, a fabulous Aussie girl called Bryony Benjamin, who wrote a book called Life is Tough, But So Are You. Now, this book could not be more perfect for what we are going through at the moment. So it is August 2021, and the Delta Strain in New South Wales is pretty crazy. In fact, there's nowhere in Australia that probably has been untouched by COVID and particularly the Delta strain. In fact, around the world, no one has got off scot-free and it's hard and it's challenging and it's trying for all of us, particularly those who are living in a what it feels like a constant state of lockdown. So this book is just a gem. It's a perfect book for now and it's interesting and I will let Bryony share her journey with you, but this book actually arose out of a really intense and quite challenging health journey that Bryony went on, and she will share that journey with us. But it is a great book to help you rally, to help you grit your teeth, knuckle down and get through tough times. It is just a really beautiful little book. And you know what? It would also be a really great book to buy someone who you know is going through a particularly tough time, whether they're going through a marriage breakdown or they've lost a loved one or a really challenging health journey. This is the sort of thing that would be perfect to buy for them. Anyway, I'm not going to give anything further away, but without further ado, I'd love to share with you my interview with the gorgeous Bryony. So Bryony, welcome to the Grown Up Girls Report. Thank you so much for having me here, Alex. Stoked to be here. Oh, looks so lovely. And Bryony and I are, of course, because it's COVID lockdown in Sydney, we are doing this online. So I can see Bryony's beautiful face on my laptop screen. So I feel like I've I've got to know her and um, and I have read her amazing, amazing book, which we'll get to, Life is Tough. So why to put a face to a name is, is, from my point of view, a real buzz. So thank you. Thank you, Bryony, for being here oh, today. Thank you. And it's so exciting to have speak to someone who's read the book as well, because there's not many. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, real honour. A real honour, actually. A real honour. Now, Bryony, we need to start at the beginning. Can you give me a snapshot of what your life was like before the said Thursday when it changed forever? Yes. Well, I was living a really busy life, you know, as we all are, (laughs) but I was working as head of video at Mamma Mia Women's Network. So working for Mia Friedman there. And it was such a fun job. Like I literally got given the job and she said, make us famous for video. Like just go play and do what you think is good. So I had this amazing team of video producers. I was working with the most gorgeous women, um, super fun. We were allowed to do whatever we wanted to do. And it was a busy and fast paced job because it's working in media, but it was actually one of the most chilled jobs I had had. I'd come off the back of two extremely stressful jobs. And uh, Mamma Mia is sort of this magical oasis where at five o'clock, everyone's gone and, you know, work stops and people oh. don't email you after hours. And so I was like, oh, okay, that, that's amazing. Um, yeah. So I was doing that. I had a boyfriend at the time, busy social life. Um, you know, I was playing squash. I love squash randomly. <laughs> and great, I love, great. Uh, bringing it back from the 80s. 
uh, and I love uh, touch football. So I was playing that twice a week. And, but you know, so there was, life was just jam packed and it was just getting harder and harder and harder and feeling yeah. like more and more of a slog. And, uh, you know, I, I was going to the doctor, uh, on and off for this 18 month period where I was just feeling rubbish, which coincided with starting this new job at Mamma Mia. And I just get, kept getting, you know, to dead ends and them just telling me, you just, you're stressed, you're overwhelmed, you need to rest more. And I kept thinking, I don't feel that stressed. Like I've had far more stressful jobs, you know, uh, but I could just never get on top of this pervasive tiredness. I would get to the weekends and all I would want to do was just crash and rest, which was very hard when I was dating a, a very social um, person who, you know, was ADD and wanted to do a million things every minute. So, you know, that became really challenging as well. Of course. And yeah. And, you know, and interestingly, uh, a girlfriend of mine said after, because we played squash every week and she's like, you just were getting worse and worse and worse. And and I was starting to beat you and, you know, and it just seemed weird, which, you know, yeah, we, I, I didn't really piece any of these things together. But I suppose, yeah, a sort of a, a, a real turning point moment was when I was going and getting all these tests and my partner at the time said to me, you realise you've been sick the whole time we've been dating? And that really shocked me because it was true. But when you're feeling unwell for a really long period of time, it all just starts to blur into one and you forget what feeling good actually feels like. Yes. And I mean, I, I really think I'd gotten to the point where I thought, well, maybe this is just what being an adult feels like. You just are stressed and tired and you feel rubbish all the time. Yeah, because you're living this amazing, crazy, busy life, you know, living the dream, so to speak. And so it was maybe that was just the toll you had to pay, but it wasn't. Yeah, totally. Totally. No, it wasn't. So I think I'd become the queen at just compartmentalizing pain, pushing it to the side and just carrying on and pushing through. And I think, I think a lot of men and women are like that. And I think, you know, a lot of women particularly who are caring for lots of other people and, you know, they we're tough and <laughs> you just keep pushing through. Absolutely. So, absolutely. That is not advised. Not advised at all. And then that Thursday happened and everything changed. Can you tell me about that day? Yes. Yeah, so I, I mean, I basically what happened is my parents were getting so concerned about me because they knew I wasn't my usual sparky self. Yep. And mum was particularly concerned about the fact that I was having night sweats. Uh, my GP wasn't particularly alarmed. She thought it could be hormonal, but I was 31 at the time. You know, it's not like I was going through menopause. Um, and so she was very, she just, my mum is very uh, onto things, you know, as, as many mums are. And she was just on my case about it. Thank goodness. And my dad's actually a vet. So she kept saying to him, you know, what could it be? What could it be? What could it be? And he said, oh, I think actually it could be lymphoma. So they ended up calling my GP and insisting that I got referred to a specialist hematologist, which is a blood cancer yep. specialist. And so I went in to see this lady, you know, not really thinking too much of it, thinking my parents were being a little bit over the top, to be honest, um, did some tests. She goes, she said, look, um, I think we should do a biopsy uh, just to be, you know, to sort of be safe. I think, she, I think in hindsight, she was just trying to keep me calm. Um, so I got a biopsy done, honestly, didn't think twice about it. Um, and she said, come back, you know, in a week to get the results. And I thought, well, if it was bad, they would call you, right? Like if you have cancer, they're going to call you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Turns out no. <laughs> um, so I, I went in that morning, mum insisted on flying down from 
Queensland to be with me. She'd cut a trip short, come home. And I was just like, mom, you're being over the top. I've got to get straight into work that day. Sure. I've got a million things to do. I don't have time to chill with you. You know, Sophie Monk's coming in. We're doing an interview with her. She's just been on The Bachelorette, all the really important things. Absolutely. And yeah, we went, <laughs> went into this appointment. She sat me down and my beautiful specialist who had the most beautiful manner about her, she just said, I'm so sorry, the results have come back and it is Hodgkin's lymphoma, as your parents were worried about. And what that means is we just need to clear your next three to six months. We're going to get you into treatment straight away and start a course of chemotherapy. And when she said that word, that sort of started to click like, oh, this sounds bad. And I remember to sort of gauge the severity of it, the only thing I could think to ask was, will I lose my hair? And she said, yes, you will, will. but it will grow back. And that was sort of like the, whoa, that was the sucker punch moment. (laughs) Take your breath away kind of moment. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then you were in full cancer mode. Yep. There was chemo, but there was also IVF. Tell me about how that was part of the process and why. Yeah, so I suppose for young women that haven't yet had children and if you want to have the option to have children, you know, if there's time, if you're fortunate enough to have time and to be able to, you know, afford to do it, uh, there's the option to do IVF. So that's about, I suppose, freezing your eggs um, or making embryos so that you've got that as an option later on because obviously the chemotherapy affects your your eggs and your fertility outcomes and you might be infertile at the end of it which was quite a uh yeah quite a massive thing to grapple with at that age and also and I write about it in the book I think at 31 years of age it sort of dawned on me that this was probably quite late in my life actually to be properly thinking about my fertility for the first time and it's an interesting thing in this world where we encourage women to you know have careers and you can have it all and do it all but we actually need to have an honest and proper conversation with young women as well about, well, if actually having children is important to you, um, this is what your fertility options look like. This is what you need to be thinking of, you know, because that informs the person you're with, the choices you're making, um, getting clear on that rather than just going with the flow and hoping it'll work out in time. So, yeah, so basically, and, and I do remember my specialist gave me some excellent advice in that first appointment. And she just said, look, I don't want you Googling this yet. We're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves. You know, all I want you thinking about right now is the next three things that we have to do. And that includes a blood test, your heart and lung test, and and a visit to IVF Australia to go and look at fertility options. And that was such good advice. And it was something I kept throughout the whole treatment. And it's something I still do now if I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed, a bit stressed. I just come back to, okay, I've got a million things to do. What are the next three things? And I'm just going to focus on those um, yeah, it was great advice. Great advice. Oh my God. And when I read that section in your book, actually, it was, uh, look, I, I was very touched by that because breaking it down, chunking it down is just when you're feeling overwhelmed, it just, it just, everything just seems doable and easier, doesn't it? You know, she was a wise woman, Bryony. Yeah, she was, she was. And so to, to your point about IVF, basically, uh, you know, I just felt incredibly lucky that I got the chance to do that. So, cause, uh, yeah, for me, it was sort of like just the, the, 
sounds weird to say not the fun build up but it was the very gentle build up to the to the main event yes. which was going to be starting chemo so for me it more was like oh how great that I get to do this you know you start injecting yourself with hormones every day I had a very short window uh, they were yep. going to give me one chance to do it normally when you do IVF you might do two or three rounds to get some eggs they were like we've got one crack at this whatever we get is what we get because at the end of the day having you alive on the other end of this is more important than having some frozen eggs so which I totally totally got. yeah Wow, wow, wow. So how long did the IVF process take, could I ask? Was that like a couple of months? It was no, it was about two weeks. So yeah, as I said, normally, yeah, normally if you were doing it without the the pressure of can, a cancer diagnosis, it would take a couple of months. You know, I, I've had girlfriends do it that it's been really a year process by the time they've gotten the paperwork done, got it sorted, had the appointments. But they, you know, silver linings, they really fast track the process when you've got cancer. You know, I just felt so fortunate that I had that little window of time to be able to do IVF. And, you know, in terms of silver linings, an amazing thing when you are doing IVF because of a cancer diagnosis is that they drastically reduce the cost, I think from around $10,000 to around the $1,500 mark. Uh, you know, as my wonderful gynecologist, Bill Ledger said to me, we're not in the business to make money out of cancer patients. So uh, that was a really, once again, just a great thing to happen and something that just made me feel so grateful to live in a country with such a wonderful healthcare system. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah, so that was great. But, you know, definitely for my relationship at the time, it brought up a heap of questions. I bet it did. <laughs> very quickly. It's very intense to be, you know, we hadn't even really had conversations about having children together, any of this sort of thing, despite having been dating for about a year. Uh, and so, it, you know, suddenly you're talking about, oh, well, do we want to freeze eggs? Are we going to, do you know, should we make embryos? Like, what are we doing? Um yeah, which and and he was really amazing at the time. He just said, "Look, I just want to give you the best chance of being a mum. I mean, ideally, we'd be together, but if we're not, like, let's just look at whatever option's going to give you that best chance." And I'm happy to sign away my legal rights. So that was that was amazing wow. to be with someone like that, open-minded in that way, and really yes. thoughtful. Yeah, that is fantastic. That is so fantastic. Now then, Bryony, one thing that then I think perhaps evolved during your whole treatment was this the start of this amazing video called Life is Short, uh, your video that went viral, which is phenomenal, which makes me sob. And oh. <laughs> I've watched it a couple of times and I thought I couldn't watch it too close to the interview because I'll, I'll, I'll well up again. It is, <laughs> but it is so, I think for me, the power of the video is that it's it's real and it's raw and it's accessible. It's, and that's where the power is because any one of us could be in that video. That could be any one of us. And I think that's what, what, what why it just, it just got me and it's, it's magic. And thank you so much for sharing oh, all of that with you. us. So lovely. It is, it is wonderful. So did you start the video? when you were obviously when you were starting the treatment that's that's that was the timeline yeah so basically what happened is I didn't I my friends it was really thoughtful and beautiful they all pulled together and got me a bit of camera equipment to go with my iPhone so a little thing to hold it on and a microphone and they were basically the ones that encouraged me to maybe start documenting the journey and so actually from day one um, I was really not feeling like I wanted to do that at all, wasn't in the headspace for it. And my partner at the time said, I really think if you can, you should just go and put your thoughts down on camera. And I said, oh, I don't really want to, really don't want to, not feeling it. <laughs> it was a pretty overwhelming day. And he said, oh, I really, really think you should if you can find the energy. So I actually did. And that's the opening shot in the video, You Only Get One Life, is me just going, you know, I do feel scared. Of course. And, yeah, and I think too, 
in a way it was really therapeutic as well to do the video logging as I went because it sort of in a way it separated me from it and you know it gave me some sort of sense of control over a situation I really had no control over of course but I but I think to sort of be able to in a way keep working and be a director of course producer and you know just be like the sub I'm just the subject of this project um it was yeah it was a it was a nice break from it all in a way I think yeah no, it's, it, was, it was absolutely phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. So was that taken over, was it a year's period? By the time you started your IVF treatment to the time you finished your, your chemo and then you were in remission, which is wonderful news, and we'll get to that a bit in a minute, was that a 12-month period roughly? Yeah, it was. So I sort of documented, you know, uh, throughout the whole time with lots of encouragement from my mother as well or friends that would be like, oh, you're filming? I'm like, oh, no, I haven't filmed anything for weeks. They're like, make sure you keep filming. And I'm so glad I did because often too you think, oh, I'll get it later or it doesn't matter. But you can't go back and record these moments. You can't go back and record shaving your hair off. You can't go back and record being in the hospital. And two, it's amazing how much you forget, you know, and so to and so to not just have a written journal of it, which I did, I was religious about journaling as well, but to go back and actually see yourself in those positions and in hospital and like, it's almost surreal. It's like looking at someone else's life. It's like, was that a lifetime ago or me in another universe, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Because that's now yeah. two years ago. Is that right? That's wow, right. Yeah. Okay. So I, I actually, what happened is um, a beautiful friend of mine edited it together because I just couldn't really deal with going back and waiting through the footage. Not. And she kept saying to me, can you pick out the best bits or the, you know, the selects that you want to make? And I, and then she just got the idea. She's like, oh, I, I understand now I've gone in and looked at it a bit. And she's like, I understand that you're, why you're avoiding this. <laughs> so I'm just going to take it and do it and edit it for you. So I'd, I'd written the script in a little voiceover. And I just gave her that. And then she went off and just worked her magic with it. She's an amazing editor and storyteller, Claire Gerber. My, she was my Mamma Mia work wife, oh, actually. love a work wife. God, she did a great job. And and then when I showed it to Mia, Mia, who is just such a you know an incredible supporter of my, of myself, but women in general, she just said, "Oh, let's get this up on Mamma Mia if you want. Yeah. Let's you know let's let's get that this out there." So that was you know a really pivotal part in it going viral. And then I suppose that's what led to the book because yeah. um, Murdoch Books saw it and they said, "Oh, I think there's a beautiful book in this um, yeah, to absolutely. help other people." Yeah, absolutely. And so the book, was that very much an extension of the journaling of which you spoke about? So I know journaling was something you did to really help you get through. Was that, was that a, an evolution of the journaling or, or not? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it was more so that the journaling unlocked my writing again. I get used it. to love writing in high school. I loved it. Yes. And then I think I just mentally had this block, like I'm not a writer. I do video. I, I can't write. I'm not very good at it. I'm, I'm too slow. And that process of, um, I, I don't know if you've heard of The Artist's Way before. It's a it's a 12-week course, no. basically. So it's a book, a very famous book for creatives yep. by Julia Cameron. And okay. it's a 12-week course that gives you certain tasks and questions and challenges to do. And it's about reconnecting with your creative self. But I would okay. actually just say it's about reconnecting with yourself, you know. Okay. And so it'll ask you questions like, who do you want to be when you're 80, you know, or like what was your proudest high school achievement or primary school achievement? Like it just unlocks all these little portals in your yes. brain you haven't touched ever. Yeah. And uh, and as part of it, you do what's called the morning pages. So first thing in the morning, you wake up and you brain dump three pages of writing, just everything that's in your head, out it comes. There's no right way or wrong way to do it. Whatever's in your mind, you just get it down. And she said, it's really like 
taking that cloud of thoughts out of your head and putting them on paper and it helps you organize it and make sense of it and that I just became religious about that during treatment and and coincidentally I had 12 weeks of chemo and the course was 12 weeks so yeah so there was this lovely synergy this friend had sent it to me and I was like I'm going to commit to doing this and and it was that I think not only was it incredibly therapeutic, we know that journaling actually during really tough times is incredibly helpful for people. It is. Like people can even, um, you know, there's scientific evidence to suggest that wounds heal faster in people when they're journaling because it's like it, it's distressing your body in a way, you know. Yes. It's, it's helping your brain organise and make sense of what is going on. But, yeah, it really unlocked my writing and, and reminded me, I was like, I love this, I can do this. So when the, you know, when the book thing read its head and and Kelly from Murdoch Books reached out I was like yeah actually I I reckon I could do this as opposed to I don't think I would have felt that way you know a year before so yeah had you not journaled so that's amazing yeah yeah that's amazing it's um it's interesting so after I after I read the book it became so apparent to me Bryony that you are one of those very unique people that just you know, you exude goodness and kindness, but you also, I feel like, have such a mission to want it to want to give back and to want to help. And to me, that's what this book was all about. Almost, almost paying it forward, repaying the kindness, and just trying to make everyone's life just a little bit easier after you've been through, you know, your own shitstorm for want of a better word. It was just, it's such a gift, and it would be the most perfect gift for someone who is going through such a hard time. So, it is so incredible, um, so incredible. Um, I'm sure you must feel so proud of it. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, I do feel really proud of it, actually. And, you know, I just keep coming back to, like, when I make videos, I've made so many viral videos, you know, and I'm always thinking when I make that, I start with, like, thinking about that audience in mind. And I really wrote this book with, you know, the, the people in mind that I was helping through their traumas anyway, like people that are reached out and connected. And I was thinking about what I needed at that time. And it's just, it truly is the book I wish I had had at the start that would have just been, you know, that helpful friend that's been there, done that, and is just guiding you along. So that's really what guided the writing of it. Yeah. And actually, as I wrote the book, I was really unwell. So I've been dealing with quite bad chronic fatigue um, since chemo, but I was really unwell during the period I was writing the book. And whilst that made it quite hard to write, (laughs) um, in some ways it was a really helpful filter because it made me really interrogate everything I was putting into the book. I was like, okay, it's it's all well and good to say this and write this now when you're shiny and happy and out the other side, but I feel awful today. Would this actually help me right now? so it was actually a really useful filter, as crappy as it felt. I agree. And I think that was another thing I loved about the book, that it wasn't just all just Pollyanna-ish because obviously, you know, things were hard, things got better and 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 you would be very excused for making the world seem perfect and shiny after coming through everything and, and everything being brilliant. But it's not like that. It's very no. real and 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 um, I think that's why I, I loved it so much. I really do. But what I'd love to do, if that's okay, is to talk about some of my favourite parts of the book. Oh, amazing. <laughs> there are some things that I went, oh, my gosh yes I need to need to you know asterisk that page so one of the things I loved was how to ask for help when things get tough um you have some great advice here now um I don't think I actually mentioned to you before Bryony but I've got I've got four kids I've got two sons um my two youngest sons went through quite some some um hellish health challenges um after after a tick bite and they were unwell on and off for years we went overseas for treatment anyway things are much better now we're still managing some of those chronic fatigue style issues which it sounds like you're going through but look we're so grateful to be where we 
we are now. Um, and I know that during that time I had so many people that um, would offer and, 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 and would just wrap, my, wrap their arms around me. But I, I was really uncomfortable mm. taking help, but I really mm. needed it. And um, you've got some great advice around that. Tell, tell me what you, you think now after being through what you have. Uh, yeah, well, I think it is that hard thing, isn't it, leaning on other people, particularly when you're used to being independent and, like, capable and competent and all these things. And once again, it was it was a girl that um, who I'd known for a number of years but I'd never realized she'd actually been dealing with a brain tumor for years and years and had been going through treatment. And when she found out about my lymphoma, she called me and she said, I just wanted to say, now is the time to lean on your people. As uncomfortable as that may feel for you and you won't want to, she's like, trust me, they want to do it. They want to help you. So just lean into that. And it was really great advice. So I write about that in the book, um, you know, and it's kind of what life's all about, right? <laughs> Help, you know, leaning on each other oh, yeah. and supporting each other when we need it because we're all going to we're all gonna have those times when we need it. So, yeah, it's like that, that was a mind shift for me to be able to do that. Uh, but then, yeah, it was interesting to see how, you know, so many of my friends, they just turned up and supported in such helpful and practical ways. And, and I think yes. that is so key because it's very easy to jump straight into, you know, and I definitely had a lot of people as well, just doing the whole, I'll do anything, like, let me know what you need. And I know they genuinely mean that, but as the person going through the crisis, it just puts the burden on you it does. to have to like think about it and ask and feel awkward asking. Um, so I thought, yeah, it's really great advice to, rather than just say, I'll do anything I write in the book about just do something absolutely and do something practical and if you don't know what to do offer some things up yes. so rather than you know what do you need what do you need just saying hey um i'm going to the grocery store this afternoon can i pick you up this 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 and this let me know what else you need or yep. you know i'm hey i want to drop by can i pick up your mail or come what are your plants or do the gardening you know offer the things up um because otherwise it's just it's awkward and it's hard to ask, even if you're going through cancer or, you know, yeah. you've got unwell children or you're going through, you know, a, a marriage breakdown, whatever it might be. It's just, you don't want to, you don't want to ask. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then you had some great advice for friends and family who are watching someone they love go, go through something. And I, you make the point about, um, sitting in the rubble with the person who's having the tricky time and just acknowledging their pain. And you have some great tips on what not to say. On what not to say. Yes. yes. There's some some uh, good little, so, you know, I, I obviously I start by saying say something because yeah. I think there's that awkward thing as well, isn't there, where people don't know what to say yeah. so they don't say anything. Absolutely. And, you know, that just feels it feels so mean and so in a way or, or so um, dismissive of what you're going through or like just when people don't acknowledge it at all, it just feels, it's just awkward. Like it's just yes. the elephant in the room. So I say to everyone, always just say something, you know, and and I think sometimes two people go, oh, but I don't know her well enough or I haven't been in contact. I know, for, and look, everyone's different and everyone will respond differently. Some people might hate hearing from someone they haven't seen since school or whatever. But I know for me personally, it was even more touching hearing from people yes. that, you know, I didn't know particularly well or who I hadn't um, spoken to in a long time. I had a, a beautiful um, friend of a friend who I'd never met before and she sent me a book and a card just to oh. say, I just want you to know people that don't even know you are cheering for you and they're sending you love. And, like, 
you know, oh. that love, it just helps. It just gives you such, those little lifts, they just give you such a boost. Oh, God, they um, do, don't they? There's nothing yeah. quite as powerful as that. And I don't even know if people realise how how that can just, that can lift you for days. Little days, like that. it yeah. really can, it yes. really can. Yes. So, yeah, as I was saying, I say, say something, yes. you know, acknowledge it. And if you don't know what to say, even just say something like, I'm just so sorry this is happening to you mm. and I'm thinking of you and sending you love. It can be as simple as that. Yeah. Um, or, you know, Hi, Alex. I know we haven't been in touch for years, but I, I heard about what's happening and it's just really unfair that you have to go through this and I'm sorry. Yep. Um, you know, that's simple. Uh, I, the, the phrases just sort of steer clear of and I write a bunch of them in the book, but, you know, one is the old, oh, well, everything happens for a reason, you know, oh. which is just supremely unhelpful. And <laughs> when you're in it, it's very unhelpful. Perhaps yeah. when time passes and you've had time to process, you might go down that track, but not when you're in the, in the trenches. Not when you're in it. You know, and I think I'm the first one to admit, like, great things can come from crappy situations, yep. you know, but it's just, once again, early on, it's just not helpful. No, 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 no. You know, if someone's just lost their partner, you know, it's like, really, has my partner just died for a reason? I was speaking with a beautiful girl the other day who's my age who lost her husband to bowel cancer, <sighs> you know, at, you know, at 31 years of age and and her boss saying something just so flippant to her like, oh, well, you know, um, you know, it makes you really strong, doesn't it? You know, and she just, she ended up saying to him, you know what, like, I'm, I'm not ready for that to be a lesson for me right now. My husband's died and it's really awful and sad and there's there's nothing positive to be gained from you saying that to me right now. And she just called it out, which I think was good. Good. But, yeah, but you know the other the other phrases would be things like oh they only send it to the strong ones mm. um, or anything about it being God's plan or in God's design. There's, well, that's a hard one, isn't it, God? Yeah, that's tricky. Like, yeah, and you know you may have religious beliefs and that is fantastic, but you have to acknowledge the other person may not, or they might be a bit angry at God right now. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought there, there's a lymphoma survivor, Emily McDowell, who makes these empathy cards. And I just, I actually end up quoting her in the book with her permission because I thought nothing summed it up as well as this. She just said, if this is God's plan, God is a really terrible planner. <laughs> and she's like, no offense, God, you did great on the pandas and the waterfalls, but you know, and I just thought that was, that was a great way to sum it up. It's yeah, like, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you also have some great advice on, um, on, on gift, what gifts to buy someone who's, who's going through, you know, a hard time. Um, and I loved the idea of a personalized care package. I think you said that was one of your favorite things to receive. Yeah, that was really lovely. Actually, my, a beautiful friend of mine, Amanda got all of my squash buddies actually together and she just made this big care kit up which was beautiful and it just had really thoughtful things in it like it had um, hand soaps but that were fragrance free because when you're going through chemo your, your sense is really heightened um, and yeah a little teddy and like you know just thoughtful treats and it, just the thought that had gone yes. into it was lovely yes. and same thing from Mamma Mia they would send me little care packages every now and then you know of just beauty products and oh. sparkly things and that was just so thoughtful I thought oh all female workplaces are the best like okay. somehow yes. that was an all-male instant you know workplace no offense blokes but I don't think they'd be thinking let's put together a really pretty like sparkly care package for <laughs> yeah, <Friday>. no. <laughs> I'm um, sure you would never have got yeah. it yeah no they're great yeah. some really really great ideas um and the other thing I loved was a chapter when you talk about um the power in reframing and I think you share a story when um you were losing you were losing your hair and your younger sister Rihanna I think it is from memory yeah, yeah. um she shared some amazing perspective tell me a little bit about that 
She did. Yeah. She's so wise. My little sisters, I'm like, how did you guys get so wise and clever? I've got, I've got twin sisters that are sort of 18 months younger than me. So we're all very close. Yeah. And she just said, I just had this thought that maybe, you know, as your hair starts to fall out with the chemo, which happened for me about the three week in mark, and it was daunting because you don't know when it's going to happen. And you're worrying about, am I going to wake up and there's just going to be my hair's all going to be on the pillow. And she said, I just thought maybe that as the hair starts to fall out, you could think, this means the medicine is working. Yes. You know, this means that I'm a day closer to being out the other side of this. And it was fantastic. And and so, yeah, every as it did come out, I would I would just repeat that kind of as a mantra, you know, yes. the medicine is working, the medicine is working. And it really, really helped. It was of course still really sad and traumatic, but it was it was helpful. Yeah. There's always, you know, and I do think that there's always a way to reframe and it's not that forcing the positivity, but it's it's just thinking about how else could I how can I help myself get through this in a, in a way that's more helpful? Yeah, absolutely. When I when I'm lecturing my boys or you know trying to give them hot tips, I talk about I talk about the lens, you know, through to put on a different lens, put on a different set of glasses, and let's have a look at it differently. And that's that's the same thing because often just doing that, you know, you can flip a situation, even if it's a shitty one. You can you can you can get through it more easily if you change your perspective. So you totally can. He's a wise girl. That one. Now <laughs> the other one which I love, which we all can benefit from is treating your body like a Ferrari. You know, yes. you mentioned that you had a little crash and I think from what you mentioned, you're probably still battling with some fatigue. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. How did you get yourself back on track when you had that crash and you realised you needed to perhaps focus on some more self-care? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, and I think it's pretty common for people after they've come through a health crisis or cancer or whatever it might be, is that you just want to get straight back to your old life and get back into action and get back on track. You know, there was a beautiful quote. I, I heard Michelle Obama, um, it, it was in her Becoming documentary and this young girl asked her, you know, you've just spent eight years in the White House. How do you get your life back on track now? And she just said, what track? There is no track. She said, it's just, there is no going back onto a track. It's just all different now and that's fine. Yes. And it takes time, she said, to figure out what that new track looks like and what you want to do and what you're passionate about. And I, that's so resonated with me with my health journey. It's like you can waste so much energy trying to force yourself back into your old life and that social busy packed, you know, going a million miles an hour life. And I, it was once again, coming to a place of acceptance Yes, that this is, cannot be my life anymore, or I'm going to be really sick the whole time. Um, and you know, it's still a journey for me. I'm still on that journey. Um, and I'm definitely not perfect at it yet, like far, far from, but I'm learning to understand what rest actually is. Yes. Um, I've been going to a chronic fatigue clinic in Sydney, which has been great, but you know, they, they helped me realize that I actually never rest. So the things that I thought were resting, like listening to a podcast, sitting down to read a book, watching a TV show, they said, actually, all of those things are really high cognitive load activities and they're not restful. Oh, Bryony, I know. I, wow. I <laughs> are you guys realizing you don't rest either? No. <laughs> Probably is a, a busy mum of four as well. Um, yeah, but so they said, actually, the only thing that constitutes resting essentially is, you know, getting a cup of tea and just staring out the window. 
you know. So uh, some other things that help me are maybe just going outside, being in nature, looking up at the trees and just watching them sway. If you're lucky to live near the ocean or near some water, just watching the water go past, you know, going out and just looking at the birds in the garden, but like actually just being. And I realised like I'd never, ever, ever do that, right? And we're all probably, we're all so guilty of it. You know, you get a spare second and you grab your phone and you're scrolling through Instagram not resting, even though you think, oh, I'm just having a little break. I'm having a little scroll through social media. Yeah, none of those things are resting. So they're enc- they encourage me basically to try and find, you know, three 15-minute blocks in a day where I can do that. I mean, honestly, I still don't do that, but I probably, I probably find three five-minute blocks now in a day or even just like if you can just find a minute, a little slither here and there to do it, you yes. know. I think that's better than nothing. Um, and for me, it's also just been getting much better at saying no and which I find incredible. I find it so hard, Alex, like to the point where it makes me feel physically ill sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I'll say no and then after for an hour I'm thinking, oh, maybe I could say yes and maybe I go back to them and tell them that I can fit it in. Yeah, (laughs) totally. But um, the more I release that stuff and, you know, and for me as well, um, you know, and I don't push this on anyone, like it's whatever anyone wants to do, but really looking at my diet. Yes. So I, I've moved to, to a more of a plant-based diet, yep. essentially. Um, the more I've read and and the more I've read about blood cancers as well and, and sort of cancers. Um, and then probably the biggest shift for me has been um, I read Why We Sleep after I went through chemotherapy by Matthew Walker. I don't know if you've read it. He, I have got it and I haven't read it, but I've heard yeah, it's incredible. It's kind of a life-changing book yep. and you know, for me, that was a really, yeah, it was a light bulb moment when particularly reading, um, you know, you basically triple your risk of cancer mm-hmm. if you're getting under seven hours of sleep a night. And I just, I had burnt the candle at both ends for, you know, since I left school essentially. Mm-hmm. And I, I've noticed that similarity in all the other young women I've spoken to that have had lymphoma. They're all like quite high achieving, you know, fitting in a million different activities or in really stressful workplaces or, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, and and he explains in this book that basically, well, for starters, melatonin that's released when we sleep is a cancer fighting agent. It is. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And, and that it's like he said, he explains it as it's like these 007, you know, little agents go around the body and clean up all the carcinogenic cells and they need eight hours to do that. So yep. if you're routinely missing that time, it's just like you, you're just not getting that, you know, that it's just, it, it's the foundation of good health. So I've really reprioritized health, um, sleep in a big, big yeah. way for me. That's fantastic. Fantastic. So tell me about life now. Obviously you're very focused on your health and, and prevention and and managing fatigue, but yeah. What what does a week look like now? Are you, are you back in the videography space? Uh, Yeah. So I, I now just work with really select clients that I love. Um, I mean, I was doing, you know, I was working with a lot of purpose-led organizations before anyway, but yeah, I've just gotten really, you know, once again, real clarity on just only wanting to put my energy into projects and that I really care about, uh, like this book, for example. And, you know, I've been working, for example, with uh, a company called Amber Electric, who are going to revolutionize the way that we you know, get power in Australia. They have a vision of seeing Australia run on renewable energy and they are supercharging that through, you know, market demand um, for renewables. Uh, So I I love them and, you know, working with brands like that that are really doing inspiring things in the world to make the world better. Um, And, you know, climate uh, change and environmental issues are like massive, massive concerns for me. Uh, And I think, you know, this experience has really fueled that as well because I actually see how a lot of us are treating our bodies 
reflected in how we're treating our planet. It's just this like extractive model, you know, we're like, let's get as much as we can out of ourselves and our bodies and our planet, you know, and ultimately to, to move to a more thriving, better life. Um, we need to move to a society that's more about listening, you know, and more of those feminine qualities about being in tune because, you know, it's like our body and our planet, like when there's a problem, they normally tell us we're just often not listening. Like with Mm -hmm. my body, it was sending me all the warning signs, but I didn't know how to listen to them yet. And, you know, if you look at the bushfires that happened in Sydney, you know, sorry, all around the country um, in in 2019, you know, that that's a warning sign that our planet's sending us. So we've got to got to start listening and tuning in and move to a more regenerative replenishing yes. you know world that's my hope for the future yeah. anyway so I love working on things like that and then personally um, a really lovely thing that's come about is there was a girl that I'd been um, that I'd connected with through Instagram who was 19 when she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and so for the last two years I've just been a contact point for her and I've just you know kind of like a lot of the things actually that are in the book just sort of helping her with those kind of thoughts and ideas and then at the start of this year um, her big brother who had just moved back from overseas reached out and was like hi like you know, I'm a, I'm a lawyer in the climate change space and I've just moved back to Sydney and Maddie says you're awesome and I'd love to catch up. And so we met and, uh, yeah, we've been dating <gasps> now oh, for a few months and oh, so it's been a really, really lovely outcome of lymphoma and just, oh. you know, um, sending out some goodness into the universe yes. and come back in a really lovely way. So and he's, oh. he's really amazing. So that's been a really nice um thing that's happened yeah oh you've made my day you've made my day I love that story I love a bit of a love story (laughs) (laughs) yeah I was saying the other day I was like it's the best thing that's come out of lymphoma and he's like you you set a low bar like you know it wasn't it's not like it was a great thing I'm like hey I got a book deal like you know uh but yeah and a boyfriend so get cancer no definitely do not but yes definitely do not get cancer but no you've you've pivoted you've reframed you're an inspiration Bryony so oh Alex thank you thank you so much for the privilege to read your book and to chat with you and I will watch your journey with great interest because I know you're you're big on Instagram and you've got you know obviously your Facebook as well you keep videos yeah yeah so just putting out content and you know just trying to put out helpful content really that resonates with people and yeah so um oh yeah fantastic fantastic well thank you again for today and lots of love and good luck with the book it's awesome thank you Alex and thank you so much for having me on your awesome podcast it's been lovely to chat Hope you enjoyed that chat with the lovely Bryony. She is a really inspiring, high energy, yet very down to earth girl who has some absolute pearls of wisdom and gems to share in that book. Um, And as I said, I think in the introduction, it's the perfect book to buy someone who is going through a tough time. You know when you often go to a gift shop and you you want to buy something for someone and you think soaps, body wash, oh, what do I buy? Well, this would be a great little book to to have in your stash if if you think someone needs a bit of a leg up. It It is really, really great. Now, can I ask you a favor? If you have a spare second, I would be so grateful if you could share a review of the podcast or even better, if you could share this podcast with someone who you think might also benefit from it. Only a minute, doesn't have to be too long. But in podcast world, those things are really important and actually help make podcasts really viable. 
So lots of love to everyone, particularly those who are doing it tough in the thick of lockdown. We're going to get there. I just can't stop thinking about how great 2022 is going to be. We're going to be exhausted just trying to keep up with all the events we, uh, we had to reschedule from 2021. Anyway, lots of love, everybody, and I will catch you very soon.